We're a lot like a buoy, really. That's us there under the bird. It may not look like much is happening, but the buoy is suspended between these two great forces, gravity and buoyancy, both working against each other so that it stays in the same place. And us, we're caught in the middle as well, suspended between nothing less than the full force of heaven and the full force of hell. Since that balance essentially shapes our conscious experience, we should know as much as we can about it, and tonight we're going to look at the negative side. Even though we're going to meet some scary characters there, it's worth it because of the knowledge that we'll gain and how we can apply it. Swedenborg was so meticulous in recording his experiences with dark entities because of the simple fact that the more we learn about the dark, the easier it is to move toward the light. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. It's the Evil Spirit Show today. We're going to go through Swedenborg and look at the creepiest stuff that he found, or some of it. And you can't really traverse Swedenborg without encountering this dark side, much like if you study life in this world long enough, you're going to understand, hey, there's stuff that people do that helps everybody and makes you feel good, and there's stuff that makes you feel a little bit sick, or at least exhausted, and we got to know both sides if we're going to navigate this efficiently. If it's your first time, thanks for coming. Hopefully, we'll tr I'll try to make it uh, as manageable as possible for you to keep up. My name is Curtis Childs. I'm the host with the Swedenborg Foundation, and if you want to be part of this conversation, if there's something you don't get or there's something you have a further insight on, or maybe you've had your own experience, you want to share it, get your questions, comments in at the end, we'll try to answer them or, or give a nod to them or at least read them out loud on the air. All right, so yeah, we are going to look at these forces, um, and we're going to look at evil spirits divided by kinds, and how do we do that, and how does Swedenborg do it, and is any of this relevant to life? Is this just all kind of taxonomy or uh, you know, some kind of Dungeons and Dragons thing? We're going to list out the types of monsters, or is this going to help us navigate the psyche and make a better world? The answer's to come, and we'll begin in part one. You don't need to be unsettled or nervous with this topic. Maybe you're not, maybe you're like, this is fun, but maybe you're like, why are we, why are we gonna talk about evil? And also, once we start to get into these actual beings that Swedenborg encountered, they're creepy, and, and perhaps more creepy than even what we're seeing in movies these days. So why? Are we going to spend time on him? Well, it's, and, and how can you say, you, this is you saying this to me, how can you say I don't need to be worried about it? And I'll give you a, an elegant analogy. Let's say we we're talking about UV rays coming out of the sun, which these rays really do come out. And we were telling you, well, these things, they will burn you up. They will cause all kinds of disease in you. They can kill you. The sun is constantly throwing them out. They're bombarding the whole solar system, including the planet we live on. You might get nervous, but because of where we are, because of how the atmosphere works, magnetic field, whatever, I don't even know what goes into it, but because of the way things are situated, all we'd ha need to really get to in that discussion about UV rays is you know, sunscreen every once in a while. If you're going to be out for a long time, take breaks in the shade. It's not because of the the dynamic, we're safe, even though there are these huge forces pounding down on us. So remember, in the intro, we talked about this equilibrium 
uh, heaven and hell, everything that you can think of that's amazing and beautiful about heaven and everything that is terrifying and aggressive and evil about hell, they're both pressing in on us with this incredible weight, but because they're these opposite forces, they cancel each other out enough that we encounter them both as these mon- almost mundane forces in our hearts and mind, according to Swedenborg, and we're going to look at how that whole thing works here. We're going to take a journey to categorize and take you through the types of evil spirit. So we have to begin by justifying the claim that you even can stick evil spirits into categories. I mean, what does that, is that really something that, that Swedenborg found in his experiences? Well, let's start with his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, number 405. What's it going to say? All spirits, including the evil, are grouped into their own kinds and species. So not only did he do it, but he is adamant that this is something intrinsic to the nature. You can categorize evil spirits. But that uh, begs the question, what, how, what, what makes you say you can categorize them? On what basis? If we're going to categorize species of things like we do here, it's all based on genetics. Something is a species, there's a particular qualifications, a particular genetic code, a percentage of it, and make it so you're the same species as something, you're related to other species based on you know your shared genetics and what we're guessing, the evolutionary history. There's a very strict criteria to be a species. So what what is that criteria on the spiritual level? I mean, is Swedenborg doing these DNA tests? How does he know that you can categorize them like this. There's a couple pieces to the answer to that. The first we already covered in a different show. We did a program that was called How to Deal with Evil Spirits. You can go check that out. And early on in there, we gave this definition of what is an evil spirit. We all have good and evil impulses in us. When you cross over, according to Swedenborg, uh, you self-select. You, if you, what you love deep at your core is to harm people, you kind of push away everything good. You push it to the periphery or the bottom part of you, and you devote yourself you, to that evil. So an evil spirit is going to be somebody way more focused on evil than anybody we, or the most people we would ever meet on this planet, just because in the spiritual world, you really become who you are deep down. So there's that part of it, but for the classification we're going into, we have to go a little deeper into the definition of, of what a spirit is and get a sense of, of why they are like they are. So this is Apocalypse Explained, Swedenborg's unpublished work, uh, 837. He says, after death, and he's describing what it is that makes spirits like they are, after death we each become our love, and our spirit is nothing but the emotions that embody our love. Once we become a spirit, then, it is from our emotions that we think and speak, and it is from our emotions that we form an intent and carry it out. Whatever we respond to emotionally or love is that what we then long for and absorb, and whatever we do not respond to or love, we oppose and reject. In fact, our face gradually becomes the face of our emotions or our love. From that point on, our face tells others who we are. So do the words we speak, and in the sound of them is the sound of our emotions. In short, after death, we become our love or emotions in tangible form. And that's carried to the conclusion of this sorting process. You become sort of a, a, a rendering or a manifestation of your deepest love. So a spirit is the embodiment of a of a love. Swedenborg uses that term love, you could call it a desire for something, um, something that is you're in the pursuit of. This is what drives you in life. You become an embodiment of the pursuit of that. And this will get clearer once we give some examples. Um, it's that love that allows for this classification. 
that he says spirits are grouped together, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of person, you know, genetically you were on earth or where you lived or anything like that. It has to do with what you love, and people who love the same thing become the same kind of spirit. And if there's a slight difference in the way they love that thing, then that's a subspecies or another species. That's the classification. That's the mode of division is what do you love? What do you care about? And for what it's worth, he says, all the kinds of evil are in direct opposition to their specific counterparts in heaven, that there are heavenly societies directly opposed to hell. So you have, for everything evil that people love, there's an, an opposite good love there, and that's where this equilibrium or balance that I was just talking about comes from. So there's that, and we could leave it at that, but it would kind of stay theory. So we're going to spend some time walking around in, in the journals of a guy, and maybe he had these experiences, but what does that really do for us? But there is a link in here to not just the interest part of it, but to, to your practical day-to-day, and we can follow that thread by looking at an interesting comment that Swedenborg made on the 7th of March in 1748 in his Journal of Spiritual Experiences. This is number 1205. He's writing about something he went through. Societies, this, this will be societies of spirits in the spiritual world, sometimes compete for a person's thoughts, that is, good societies and evil ones. I learned today by actual experience how heavenly societies were competing for my thoughts. Spirits worrying about bodily concerns were on the outside, a little overhead, trying to create thoughts and desires from everything that confronted my senses. Sometimes they reached out for everything they see. A good society within was obviously trying to pull me toward themselves. I felt the pull. Meanwhile, they spoke about whether they would win out. Well, here you have a couple of societies of spirits competing to influence Swedenborg, competing to um, affect and manipulate his thoughts. And you find that this is a thread that goes throughout the entirety of his spiritual experiences. This is one of his biggest parts of his spiritual awakening was this realization oh, heaven and hell are affecting the way that I think and feel. And here's a quick diagram to put you all at ease, or at least to sort it out. Let's say that's us. Let's say we're that guy and we have cool hair, and we have like good and bad in our mind. They have light and dark. Every time we have good thoughts and good feelings, we are in connection with heavenly societies that are, uh, that are creating, that are affecting, that are infusing us with good thoughts and good feelings and good ideas. This is showing up in our mind every day. And you have the reverse, where when there are dark thoughts, there are negative impulses, there's everything that drags us down, there are societies in hell that are activating those and that resonate and communicate with those things. So there are particular spirits in connection, Swedenborg says, with particular evils. So as we go through these spirits here, we're not just talking about something that's happening in another world, we're talking about the root or the spiritual manifestation of this phenomenon that shows up in our society, in our minds, and in the the choices that we make. So this is very, very current stuff, even if it seems a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away when we're talking about the kinds of evil spirits. So you don't got to be worried about it. Remember, we'll bring up our equilibrium one more time. As much hell as there is, there's even more heaven pressing in. But what we learn from this equilibrium and its forces on us is that we're going to describe these terrifying beings coming up. We're going to talk about the the arts that they have, the ways they try to harm people. But because of the force of heaven, in most cases, pressing back so with so much power, we only feel them as like these impulses to the same kind of evil 
that they have. So it's not we're not like looking through this show thinking, oh, I hope I don't run into one of these things someday. What are they going to do? We already run into them every day. And this show is going to help us identify their influence, push them out, and let that heaven shift down and become the, the totality, the being, rather than this equilibrium. So don't you want to do that? Me too. Let's take a look now at our first category in part two. So that's not a very clever name for a kind of evil spirit, is it? Revenge? I mean, like if I was trying to pitch a, like a fantasy novel, yeah, there's this guy's name is Revenge, I think I'd be doing a rewrite, but that's because that's not the name of that spirit. That's the name of the base impulse that creates spirits like this. More on him in a second. But first, we have to look at the, the outer manifestation. Swedenborg says that there are hells that are totally devoted to revenge, and... It's because of those hells linking with the negative stuff in our own hearts that we get this impulse to, in this case, get even with people, to, to not let things go, to work, to make sure the other guy knows that he can't mess with you like that. So let's step back and look for a minute. Just how does, how does that impulse play out in our society? What is the harm caused by revenge from a historical, psychological perspective? Revenge and the desire for revenge or retribution can be a very dangerous thing for people. And I think we've seen that over and over throughout history. It's not just a psychological issue, it's become a historical issue, and it's become an issue even in terms of things like domestic terrorism or fights between uh, specific factions or even religious groups. The problem is that when you're so focused on getting revenge or your perspective of why you were wronged and why the other person or group or side needs to be punished for that, the problem is that your whole perspective starts getting skewed and as you focus more and more on the emotion that's fueling what you think is a very justifiable reason for revenge, you actually lose contact with reality and we hear this when people talk about shooters or um, perpetrators of mass violence, they'll say, I didn't see this coming. I, I had no idea. He seemed like such a reasonable guy. And then all of a sudden, we started seeing him become less and less in touch with reality or focusing on one specific idea and, and reading fervently about it. So whatever it is that a person starts to focus on when they really feel the need for revenge, the passion and the emotion that fuels it kind of skews their cognitions, if that makes sense. And their thinking process becomes warped. and. Unfortunately, that can take a very negative downturn, both for people in relationships, partners might feel that they're very justified and they'll stop even hearing what the other partner has to say, or when it again comes to issues of religious rights or terrorism or certain interpretations of one doctrine, people become so polarized. We didn't, and we didn't inform her beforehand what the arc of our narrative was going to be. So I love that she mentioned this losing touch with reality, getting becoming so obsessed and, and so absorbed by this desire for revenge. Because this is just what Swedenborg describes in the spirits that are devoted to revenge. So there you have that human quality that pops up. You can see it. Go watch some sh watch American Greed or or any of these crime shows. People get obsessed with revenge, and they go and they won't let it go. So what's that like 
on a spiritual level? What's the spiritual manifestation of that? So Swedenborg did meet spirits who were the embodiment of this desire for revenge, and we're going to get to know him a little bit here. This is uh, Spiritual Experiences 1488. There are some who take such pleasure in revenge that as they just, and this is spirits he's describing, as they themselves describe it, nothing is more delicious than to take revenge, to be gripped by a passion for vengeance. They even call it delights and hardly want to express it by any other term. So that, and that is, that's a picture of the Swedenborgian dynamic of, of hell. These are spirits that are in hell, but they're not there because, they're there because they love something evil. Right, that you hear that description, they completely are absorbed by the delight of revenge, the joy of getting even. They don't even call it revenge. They say, "Oh, this is called delights. This is the great." That's their god. I mean, that's the greatest thing in their life, and that—that's the mindset that puts you in hell and keeps you there, and you're continually pursuing this evil delight there. So, if you have that, if that thing, if revenge is the goal of your life, what, uh, what then are your are the actions? that you try to take against people, what are your objectives for people? He describes those here and just how vicious the whole thing is. This is Spiritual Experiences 1490. People like this, these spirits, are not satisfied just to destroy the body, except together with torment, which they enjoy. But this is not enough without thinking of destroying their victims inwardly. Going further and by various deceptions, uh, filthily trying to pervert their moral life, even their spiritual life. Thus, whatever goodness they notice in their civil, moral, even spiritual life, they at once pervert it in short order, thus jeopardizing their happiness. So they attempt to destroy the eternal happiness of their enemy, declaring that they enjoy this immensely. The more deeply they are able to penetrate and then pervert, the harder they try, using all different kinds of tricks. For such people are also very sharp-sighted because they think a great deal, mulling over their hatreds. It was said that they are in the thousands. There's a lot of people playing this game of like, I'm not going to let anything go. Like, don't, don't say that about me because I'm, I'm not going to forgive you for it. Um, and I do want to point out that he says, destroy the soul there. Uh, you can't destroy somebody's soul as in annihilate them and, and make them not exist anymore. According to Swedenborg, that's not even, you know, the most wily, powerful, evil spirit ever. Can't do that. The destroy the soul they're talking about is is destroy the heavenly happiness. I mean, corrupt people and make them evil spirits like those evil spirits are. So that that's the soul destruction they're longing for. Swedenborg calls the condition of hell that, we're, that, that these spirits are in, he calls that spiritual death. So everything in, in the text of the Old and New Testaments, it's talking about life and death, is talking about this, that good is life, love is life, hatred is actually death, even though those in it would argue otherwise. And these particular spirits, it's interesting, what they want to do is directly opposed to the internal sense of one of the Ten Commandments. We talked about how there's heaven and hell directly opposed, so let's read about uh, the opposition to this thing. So this is a, the Ten Commandments, according to Swedenborg, they have this internal meaning. And we're looking at the commandment, you shall not kill. One of the more famous ones, if, if commandments can be famous. In uh, his, his Doctrine of Life 67, he says, all kinds of killing, this is talking about the external form, all kinds of killing means all kinds of hostility, hatred, and vengefulness, which yearn for murder. Killing lies hidden within such attitudes, like fire that smolders beneath the ashes. So that's what he says 
on an external level, you shall not kill means refrain from all kinds of killing, refrain from that. However, there's an internal sense as well. He says, but in a spiritual sense, killing means all the many and varied ways of killing and destroying people's souls. And that is what we just read these evil spirits trying to do. So they're trying, they're raging against that commandment. They are trying to kill on a spiritual level. So that is what they're after, and what does that make you like? I mean, if, if it is, as Swedenborg describes, in the spiritual world, you're an embodiment of who you are inside. So the way that you look, the way that you sound, the way that you act is a reflection of the things that you care about and the things you're trying to do. What does that turn you into if that kind of vicious thing is at the core of your being? Well, what do you look like? Well, initially, you actually seem pretty nice. This is Spiritual Experiences 1491. He's describing a group of these spirits. But these people at first sight appear such that one would not suspect them of such qualities. For a society of these spirits works gently, just as good spirits do. They even resemble angels in their yielding manner. And I was surprised that they were the kind of spirits, that they were that kind of spirits when I was told this. But it was said that while they are in their group, they are compelled to work in concert, and care is taken that one does not harm the other in any way, or say much less do anything insulting. As soon as this happens, then the one then attacks the other, but inwardly. This was portrayed to me by a change of their yielding manner into subtle clashes, so to speak, with the result that they disperse and are brought into different societies. This goes on until there is nowhere that they are able to remain, and their hatreds or loves of vengeance break out and are thus manifested before spirits and angels. I would recommend checking out our show, The Good Thing About Hell. That's an example of the way Providence is keeping uh, these evil spirits from completely destroying themselves and other people. That They're in this group, they're all kind of working together because uh, they have a sort of a shared goal. As soon as one of them crosses the other, they start to clash with each other and the whole thing falls apart. But initially, there's this uneasy truce between them, which is all the partnerships and alliances in hell are of that nature. This is, we need each other for this, but as, but as soon as my dislike for you overpowers my desire for the goal, I'm going after you. Or if you somehow insult my honor, I'm going after you. That That's the way that hell is. Uh, so that's the, them as a group, but we are going to meet one as an individual. However, if you got kids, now is the time. You know, give them, uh, give them $20, uh, give them a bus ticket. They can take a bus, go see the movie in town. This is not appropriate for them, and this is why. Warning. The following contains mucus, vomiting. That is not age-appropriate for any age. Um, so now that the kids are out of the room, yeah, there's going to be bodily fluid stuff coming up here uh, by popular demand. So let's, we're actually going to meet this guy who was here, uh, and this is a description a little further about what his correspondence is. So this is Spiritual Experiences 1268. The spirits who relate to the mucus of the nostrils are those who, once they have contracted hatred for another, most stubbornly try to get revenge, refusing to be reasoned with. So they are in the, they, so there are those in whom reason finds no argument to dispel the hatred. Once it has been conceived, a hatred that pants for nothing but the death of the other. For then such people harbor and keep turning over nothing else in their minds. They are that sticky mucus of the nostrils. If this is your first show, now you're weirded out. I mean, this is this is probably the weirdest this show's gonna get. They these spirits are the mucus of the nostrils. Whose nostrils? Your Swedenborg's nostrils? We're, I don't know all the way, but I have some some points of insight here. First of all, 
Swedenborg does talk about spirits relating to certain parts of the body. That doesn't necessarily mean that if you have a cold, you have these particular spirits around you. However, he does say that the spiritual world can affect our body, and he talks about all the time spirits doing certain things to him, and that affects him physically. However, he also indicates at times that you only are perceptible to think, per perceive things like that if your spiritual senses have been opened, like Swedenborg's have. But on the other hand, it does seem like people experience these things. So we don't know. I, I don't know the link there. As far as what it means that they're connected with the mu mucus of the nostrils, check out our show, The Shape of Heaven. That will introduce you to Swedenborg's concept of the grand human, that all of humanity can be seen like a single person, that we all function in the ways all the different parts of the body function. There's that same cooperation. There's that same interdependence. And hell is sort of this stuff that doesn't work with the body, this excess mucus that that is causing problems and in, in, in keeping disease around. That's what these guys correspond to, all right? Is that weird enough for you? Let's, let's get even closer to this guy. Let's meet one spirit in particular that Swedenborg wrote about in a few numbers here. This is Spiritual Experiences 1269. The same spirit who was found out to have killed a certain innocent person with poison appears to have, so he's talking about someone he's already been writing about, appears to have been such a one as not to desist for any reason, however true, from the passion for vengeance, even unto death. He tarried with me, and he was of the kind that all the reasons told to him were not the least bit valid, and did not even enter his field of vision. They were like nothing, even to the point that when I realized this, I saw that he was not like a human being, who is open to reasons from other people and turns them over in his mind, but like a beast. So you get, he, he's, he's revenge-obsessed to the point where he's given away his basic humanity. They, you might as well be telling uh, a bear not to be a bear. And you so, that is sort of the, the dividing line, that you don't get mad at a lion when a lion attacks somebody, because you know lions just can't do anything. You, you can never tell a lion. That's morally wrong. This guy was just that blocked up. However, unlike a lion, he got there by his own choice, so he's not as noble a character. So let's look a little further about what he's like. This is the next number of spiritual experiences, 1270. Meanwhile, he was inwardly thinking nothing else but revenge, and in fact so covertly that I saw nothing of what he was thinking. He raised up in everyone his own subjects. So wait, he raised up in everyone his own subject. That's a strange line. What is that? He's like a monarch and he put people in people. I'm not sure I know exactly what that means. However, luckily, we are the Swedenborg Foundation. We know people that know people. I was able to get on the phone with a translator from the New Century edition of, of Swedenborg's works, and even though they haven't translated the, this particular volume, she lent her expertise on what is this phrase mean and, and how is this spirit applying it. So this is what she had to say about that. Um, Latin words there are ex kitabat in quo libet suo objecta. And there's a little grammatical error there. I think it should, he really means sua rather than suo. But the objecta are something that are thrown up in front of you so that an object of sight is something that comes to your sight. The word object there, it's like, have you ever heard the term, the phrase object of one's affections? Um, Swedenborg uses objects that way. He'll talk about the objects of sight and objects of thought. And since this paragraph is about things that are going on in people's minds, I think what he means by objects there is objects of thought. 
And it sounds like it's talking about the objects of of the uh, bad spirits' thoughts. But I think actually what he's saying is that the spirit stirs up the thoughts in the the objects of thought in the mind of the person that he's attacking. So in Swedenborg's mind, he stirred up anything that he could turn into hatred and revenge. So it could be, so there you see it's subjects in this translation, it's objects in other translations. The point is, he can pull things out of people's minds and that, that serve his intents. That text we were looking at, by the way, was Swedenborg's original r- diary that he was keeping. That's, it's a copy of it, but that's how he recorded all this stuff we're reading here. From my mind, he raised up whatever he could distort into evil and then into hatred, so he fed himself continually. He's actually feeding on Swedenborg's negative stuff. He even held the thoughts of other spirits so bound up that they could not get loose from all that he had scattered around. I noticed this in my case also, that is, he was able to hold my inward thoughts virtually fixed and manipulate them, which is that stickiness of mucus. So that was how he worked, that, that he was able to have that impact on people, uh, and he was able to affect Swedenborg in that way. We're going to look at 1271 uh, here, or did we just look at that one? Yeah, I think that was just, okay, so let's look at, let's look at 1271. Uh, Whilst he was still with me, he was perceived as a mass, the back of which was uppermost, into which nothing rational could penetrate, because he so adhered to interior hatreds. When this spirit was with me at the left side of the neck, and also let down gradually, he seemed to want to suck out the things belonging to the blood. But afterwards, when he had been moved forwards, I was no longer willing to speak with him, because he was susceptible of no reason. It was said that his thoughts are interiorly of such a nature that they cannot be adequately described. He revolves so many hatreds simultaneously and scatters them round about, that the surrounding spirits complained that they also were held as if bound by him. Thus he is like the mucus. They also complained that they were so allured by these hatreds that they cooperated together, especially those who were not of a dissimilar stock. Such is the pernicious sphere of these spirits. So it was a video, but it was the next number in there. So you just see that and how that guy operated. That's that's how he affected Swedenborg, it's how he affected the spirits around him. And now let's get it. Why are we explaining this all to you again? Because we feel the effects, just like Swedenborg did, of these mucus, of this spiritual mucus. Uh, have you ever been insulted in some way? Somebody uh, d- did something to you on the road, or they called you something, or they posted a comment on your YouTube channel, and you're just like, you don't let it go. It comes back up and you, oh yeah, 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 and then it comes back up, and it's presented to you, this thing in your mind, and these negative feelings are pulled up, and it's trying to get you to just marinate on this, and ruminate on it, and sort of write stories, and maybe they were thinking this, maybe they were doing that, it just gets to be more and more built up in you. Have you had that? I think we have, and you notice, I, I just can't let this go. Even if you don't want, I've definitely had times when I'm like, I don't, care. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to resolve this or get upset about it, but it doesn't go away. 
you know, could we be under the influence of, you know, not this particular one, but spirits in this species or similar species who induce that kind of behavior. And the people who go and commit these crimes based on this desire for revenge, according to Swedenborg, they would be swept up by spirits like these. These spirits are goading them into doing it because they want to experience the delights of revenge, which they just call delights. Um, so I don't know if the mucus stuff is enough for you. We promised vomiting, so let's get into the vomiting. That's in the next number, Spiritual Experiences 1272. Um, his effect on me was that I was... So this is that, that same spirit that we saw coming up close. Uh, this is what he did to Swedenborg. His effect on me was that I was tormented very miserably in the belly with cramps that caused a dull inward pain. This lasted for some time to the point where I threw up foul stomach acid several times. This is the effect they have on the stomach, not unlike that of mucus from the nostrils if it drains in any quantity into the stomach. It sticks to the food and blocks up the pores, preventing digestion. So there's your, there's your image for the night. What, what it, for what it's worth, it's accurate. I mean, that, that, that actually does cause, that can cause vomiting if you have a, a drip of mucus or something like that. We looked it up uh, on website. Oh yeah, right here. So you can check it out for yourself. So there's some anatomical correctness in what he's describing there. However, in case you see this and it's like, oh yeah, I'd like to be a vomit-inducing snot spirit bent on revenge. Um, the problem is revenge is a dead-end path, and it's a dead-end path in two ways. There's the spiritual way that we've been looking at. You end up becoming less and less human. You're, you don't Nobody can talk to you. You can barely be around anyone else. People are you attract people like yourself, so you're oh, people are always trying to get back at you. It's this you're an obsessive, nasty, negative person missing out on the joys of heaven. However, even in this world, when we follow these desires for revenge, when we're pushed by these spirits into this kind of revenge, it doesn't work. It doesn't give you what you're looking for, and and there's been plenty of studies to uh, to back that up. One of the most powerful emotions uh, is that of forgiveness. And there's been a good deal of research done on the power of forgiveness and how truly forgiving and letting go can be enormously helpful and healthy for an individual's overall well-being. The research has tried to do longitudinal research, which means you look beyond just the short term. And when they do that, they find that it's not exactly satisfactory to get that revenge. It may have been thrilling. It may have been uh, cathartic, meaning it was a big, exciting moment, sort of like watching the Super Bowl and your team wins. And some people think that, yeah, that really was it. I, as long as I did this to the people or the company or the individual, that would satisfy. But if you do longitudinal research, you find that it actually doesn't work. The thing that really seems to satisfy people, ironically, is the opposite, and that is to learn how to take the perspective of another person. That's that's what actually works. That's the power, and that that eventually the ability to take the perspective of another person. I mean, that's that's almost the essence of heavenly love is to understand they have a perspective, and I would like to make that perspective experience joy and happiness. That's the way you can go in the opposite way. You can be the heavenly community opposed to the revenge. Spirits. All right, we just played the game. That's how you play the game. We, that's the revenge category we played through. Hopefully we won. Let's take a look at another kind, another evil, and another group of spirits that follows it in part three.
So again, it's not a very. It's not if you, your main villain is named Manipulation, right? You're not gonna you're gonna be kind of confined to the uh, the B movie section. But this is the evil that spawns all kinds of trouble in the spiritual world. Let's begin as we did last time, looking at what harm. What, what's the soul of manipulation in our world? What harm does it cause, and what kind of mindset does it take to do it? So this we met Dr. Sony a little bit in our previous clip, and we're going to hear from her again on a little bit about this phenomenon of manipulation. You know, it's interesting about manipulation because the same mental abilities can be used for playing a good game of chess, where you think two or three steps ahead of time. If I do this, my partner will do this, and then I'll do this, etc. Well, the same series of steps might happen in your mind if you're thinking ahead, but if you have um, an evil intent in that you hope to be able to um, disempower the other person or to make them lose or to make them be embarrassed in public or to somehow lose their material possessions. And, and, and delighting in that is really very similar to a love of dominion. So you can use the intellect. You could be a very smart person, such as a chess player, but you could use that for evil intent because there's no guarantee that just because somebody is very intelligent and can do strategic thinking that they will also be moral. It takes extra perception to be able to figure out, well, what would be the hot buttons of that other person? Are they vulnerable because of something in their past? Do they uh, feel afraid because people are gonna find out that maybe they were an illegitimate child? Or they're gonna find out that maybe they went bankrupt at one point? And are, they, are those things that people are embarrassed about? And if those become disclosed, sort of like the Wizard of Oz is gonna get disclosed and everyone's gonna find out he's not really all that we thought he was, the manipulator might really try to do that just because they love to feel like they're on top of the world and this other person is at the bottom. Again, it boils down to if the person really loves to dominate and loves to look like a winner and make this other person look bad, it doesn't come from a good place. Now, we may all experiment with that when we're little and we try to make our brother trip over something, but it's much more serious when we're mature adults and we know exactly what we're doing. This comes down to pre-meditating. It's planning ahead. And the more we plan ahead and justify it and love it, the more serious it is. And it gets quite serious that the, the, this kind of evil created some of the most harrowing experiences that, that Swedenborg went through. Uh, and I know in the chat somebody asked, are we going to mention feces since we already talked about um, it's not in vomiting. I will say we will get to latrines a little bit later on. So be excited for that. This um, this uh, this act of, of manipulating or of, of you know, deceiving or, or knowing the internal character of someone to get something you want. This comes up in Swedenborg, and he broadly calls the spirits who are dedicated to this thing sirens. But that's like why sirens is because they they're really loud. No, there's there's a historical mythological context for the terminology he uses, and we thought we'd get a little background on where did he get this term so we can see why he applied it to this particular group of spirits. So here's a little bit on the the history of the term siren. A siren is a monster from ancient Greek and Roman mythology, and in art they looked they had bodies of birds and then the heads of women usually. 
sometimes men, but typically women. And in ancient myth, they lived on an island in the Mediterranean, and what they were known for is luring sailors to their doom through their beautiful music. They sang and they played musical instruments, lured sailors onto the rocks, and then killed them. Um, and perhaps most best known uh, appearance of them in myth is in Homer's Odyssey, where Odysseus is sailing with his crew, and he tells his crew, as he had been uh, warned to do, to take beeswax and make earplugs because it's impossible to resist these in this incredibly beautiful music. Uh, but he wanted to hear it, so he is to be tied to the mast of his boat. And no matter how much he pleaded for to be released, his crew was to not release him. So they sailed near, the crew put the wax in their ears, and Odysseus heard this amazing music and, of course, pleaded to go. But his crew uh, did not relent, and they, they kept sailing. So these sirens, the, the key concept of the siren is this particular type of deceit that they embody. Um, one where they are incredibly bewitching and enchanting, but it is uh, for the purpose of destruction. And if you've read some of Sar uh, Swedenborg's accounts of these sirens, you immediately see why it makes sense for him to assign that mythological term to this group of spirits. They, they share some characteristics. Uh, they're not exactly the same. They don't have the same body shape that is described there. Uh, like Wendy said, they can be male or female, but they're united by this desire to um, learn about people and from that, uh, from that control. And there's a particular one he meets here that we're going to talk about a little further. Um, I do want to mention, though, anytime we're, if we're dipping into the, this talk about sirens. Um, this is just a flyover. There's so much material that he has on this particular group. If you, if you like we all do every day, go searching around in a Swedenborg search engine, um, for, for the term sirens, you'll get a lot of hits. Um, you know, I just an initial result, you get a more than a hundred, and there's other passages that are continuations of those that don't actually use the term but are still talking about the material. So there's a lot there, and there's it seems to be a relatively diverse group. Sometimes he'll label them as oh they're like this, but sometimes it's they're like this. So there seems to be subspecies, subgroups, or, or many categories. So we're just going to give you a few here, but the essential component that seems to unify them all is this willingness and ability to manipulate and always for a negative end. To prove it, here's a couple of numbers. Spiritual Experiences 4304. The sirens would steal into the feelings of anyone at all, pretending to be like them, seeking their indulgences so as to be welcomed. But the sirens went on from place to place behaving in this way, like flies in latrines, ding, 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 there's your poop, outwardly of a golden sheen, but being inwardly filthy, having no other intention than to dominate and by hook or by crook, especially by a pretense of up uprightness toward the good, to captivate their minds, whom, having taken captive, they lead wherever they want to, thus, into disgraceful and filthy ways of life. If that's not enough for you, this is Secrets of Heaven 1515. He says, Surprisingly, sirens in the other world catch on quickly to everything there, and see how things stand better than others do, even in regard to doctrinal matters. Their whole focus, however, is to turn what they learn into magic and seize power over others. They enter into good people's feelings by a pretense of virtue and truth, but their nature is nevertheless 
as described. So it's it's always by this sort of pretense. It's not a direct angry attack like the revenge spirits. There's this kind of taking the circuitous route to get there. Uh, here's a bit of a longer story. We want to include it though because it includes not only details about what they're like, but but how they act and the kind of disruption that they cause. So this is from Secrets of Heaven, 1983. It's a story of Swedenborg and, and uh, a night of sleep he was having. One time I had the pleasantest possible night of sleep, filled entirely with sweet peace. When I woke up, certain good spirits started to... Oh yeah, by the way, you see in this, good spirits um, are confused in this story. So they're not like angels who know exactly what's going on. Good spirits are a little lower in Swedenborg's classification of good people, so that's why these good spirits could be deceived like they are. When I woke up, certain good spirits started to castigate me for harassing them. They cast blame on me for treating them so horribly that, in their words, they thought they had been in hell. I know nothing at all about it, I answered. I was sleeping very peacefully, so I could not have bothered you in any way. Dumbfounded at this, they finally perceived that the sirens had done it by their sorceries. The same demonstration was repeated later to teach me what that mob of sirens was like. During bodily life, they had poured all their energies into attracting friends by subtle wiles, using outward appearances to worm their way in and employing every available method to ensnare others' minds. They enter into everyone's desires and pleasures, but with ulterior motives, particularly that of gaining control. As a result, their character in the next life is such that they seem to themselves to be capable of anything. They imbibe and invent various deceitful skills, soaking them up as readily as sponges soak up water, no matter whether it is polluted or clear and pure. In the same way, the sirens take in both the profane and the sacred, which they absorb and put into action for the purpose, again, of gaining control. I was allowed to sense how foul their deeper dimensions are, how defiled with adultery and hatred. I was also allowed to sense how powerful their aura is. They prepare themselves internally to sway others' minds in an effort to coordinate their own inward and outward powers in pursuit of their aims. Then they forcefully compel spirits to think exactly the way themselves, the way they themselves do. So it's taking away the free will of other spirits, getting them to do their bidding, whether or not they realize that they're doing it. And this is just one of many, many stories that Swedenborg tells about sirens. Instead of trying to take you through all of them, we compiled a brief list of the powers of sirens. So here you go. They operate secret, secretly, they can project images, they can make themselves look beautiful, innocent, or pious, they can imitate someone's speech, impersonating them, they can first follow a person's thought and then lead it, use a person's own thoughts, feelings, and sensations to manipulate, fool, and take advantage, they gain a person's trust, then control and ridicule them, they try to destroy friendships between people by manipulating thoughts and feelings, they work to pervert all that flows down from heaven, so that would be in the mind, blocking off that source to higher truth. They have no conscience, considering adultery and all forms of evil to be fine and respectable. They work hard to destroy a person's conscience so they can inwardly possess the person. They want to inwardly possess people so the sirens can live through people on earth. They want to infest people while they sleep but are not allowed, which, you know, we, we just heard a little bit of. When caught, they impersonate infants or other innocent people to try to gain sympathy and escape punishment. But this doesn't work, so they suffer severe punishments. And this is out of Swedenborg's description of them. This is not out of the encyclopedia of sirens or some other source like that. This is just perusing his numbers. That's what he said. But I wanted to show, I did want to show one particular uh, video where it is sirens working against Swedenborg, but also these other spirits. And it's kind of a band of different 
types of spirits, but the sirens are leading it, and there's certain ways in which they're doing it. So I'll quick introduce you to the characters here. Uh, this was the sirens in red that Swedenborg experienced. They were kind of the ringleaders. They're pulling the whole thing forward. Then on uh, the right or the left or whatever, you know, if you turned around, it would be the right. Um, this is the, with glasses, as smart people have. Uh, this would be what you'd call the, what Swedenborg calls learned, stupid spirits. So we, in this world, would call them quite intelligent. Um, they're people who are smart, they know a lot. However, the stupid angle is a moral one, that they are very, they're very ego-driven, they're very self-absorbed, and because of that and their their desire for glory and that kind of thing, they're easily manipulatable by somebody like a siren. I don't know if you guys have read Pride and Prejudice. There's this guy named Mr. Collins in there who seems to fit this bill. He's like very educated, but very full of himself, and so kind, kind of be led anywhere by someone who knows that he, he wants that praise. And then in the back, you have what are called simple upright spirits. So these are not particularly bright or particularly sophisticated, but have a good heart. But because they're relatively naive, they can be taken advantage of. There's your cast of characters. Here's how it all went down. This is from Swedenborg's Spiritual Experiences 4552. There were some of the more evil sort of sirens who approached when I wrote, because they could thus attract my pleasure to themselves and deprive me of it. As often as they came, they also brought along stupid spirits, who in the world were learned, and hence of a haughty disposition. These were interposed, and as often as they came, they brought simple upright spirits, whose faith in them was such that they believed whatever they said, as if they had been oracles. The sirens appeared in front, on the right hand, beneath, the learned stupid spirits to the right on the level of the head, and the simple nearby. And it was observed that as often as the sirens came, the others came also, and arranged themselves thus in order before me, and superinduced darkness upon me, so that I could scarcely know how to write anything, nor to think, save confusedly. This was very often said to the stupid ones, but they took no notice, for the sirens infused into them the belief that they were learned, that they were sent hither to rule, and many such notions. Hence it was evident that there was a league of societies extending from the evil to the simple upright, but still those who are upright, after being long harassed by such, are released or liberated from that league and come amongst the upright. So there's this, there's this ecosystem there that even good spirits who are essentially good can be helping the purposes of evil spirits. Uh, and don't you see parallels of that in the world? I mean, aren't there like thought leaders who can take advantage of people who you know, are generally good, but somewhat naive and kind of bend them to... I'm not going to say that we're seeing this in, in United States politics at this moment. I wouldn't say that. That would jeopardize the mission. But, you know, we do see this in a generic sense, right, in humanity. There's, there's people who know how to get other people to act, and that's the essence of this whole siren thing. So there were a couple of examples of the kinds of evil spirits and how they show up in us, how they affect the spiritual world. We promised you three, so we're going to get to our third one right now in part four.
Our third kind of evil spirit is Dr. Jonathan Rose, uh, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of Swedenborg's works. Um, so there's a couple of things. We're so co- focused on like getting you on screen here. For the record, I think my chair is a little lower than your chair is here. <laughs> but, but what I was going to say is um, that this uh, section was called Countless Kinds and Species, because that's how Swedenborg would describe things often, and countless kinds and species. So we kind of misled in the title. We're actually going to do more than three kinds of evil spirits, but we're going to do a few in succession here. So hopefully we're giving you more than you bargained for instead of less, because you can't just settle on three. There's so much, there's such like a rich display of creepiness that Swedenborg gives. So if you wouldn't mind, would you help us sort of walk through these and what they mean? And we're going to be looking particularly at a passage from Heaven and Hell 553, where he describes a number of spirits, uh, particularly we're going to focus on faces. And he first describes a kind of spirit that had faces, he says, faces some like little torches. He actually describes them. And this is what we think he, you know, some kind of like your your head's on fire thing. Now, what what is that? It's a little disturbing. Somebody's face is a torch. Why is it? Isn't that, is he just trying to be as weird as possible? What's the meaning? What's correspondentially behind all this? Why do you go to see evil spirits that look like torches? Well, one of the things that we've heard tonight is that people are these embodiments of these feelings and that kind of thing. So it's not like they accidentally end up that way or they mm-hmm. can't help it. As you say, they're choices that people have made. And so this particular embodiment, when the the head, which represents the, the will, or your face is like your, you know, your, the will, the, the picture of what's sure. inside you, is nothing but fire. Fire in a positive sense in Swedenborg's theology means love, but in a negative sense, right. it would be craving, lusts, things like that. So these would be people who are just the total embodiment of a, a certain kind of craving and lust, and that's that's all that they are. Like that fills their whole horizon. Right. And when I first see that image and think about these kind of things, I think it's so weird to see someone whose head is on fire, uh, but... We have seen people, we've seen characters in movies and TV shows, and we may know people personally, who are just <laughs> nothing company excluded. <laughs> nothing but these cravings, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. it. That's the only topic. There's no yes. other topic, you know? Yep. They've been reduced or to that we've, essence. We've been that at times. But, right. so, okay, this guy, is it hurt? Does it hurt for him to have a head on fire? No, actually, you see, there's uh, something called the light of heaven. Mm. And the light of heaven is a form of divine truth. And when spirits are seen in the light of heaven, then something about their true inner character is reflected by the way that they look. Yep. So this is the way people would look in the light of heaven. To each other, they'd look, they'd look fine. They look normal. They okay. look the way they think of themselves. Like, oh, no, I'm a decent person. Right, right. So he's and, not a torch head to his friends. No, that's right. And that's why when they go to heaven, if they try to go there, if they want to attack good spirits or something like that, they can't stand it because they see themselves as like, oh, I'm like a match okay. head or something. You yeah. know? And that's, this is done by God. So that they, as long as they're not harming people, they live as happy a life as they possibly can. That's right. Cool. That's right. right. But if somebody needs to know who they are, that, that light of truth will shine that's in, right. and that's how they look. Right. And so that's, that's probably why, you know, you have the good spirits deceived, but angels couldn't, because angels are always in that, that light of heaven, the, the kind of, uh, this is what's really going That's right. On. They can All see right. through it. So if, if that's not enough for you, the, the torch face, he says some spirits don't have any face at all, mm. but instead they have something hairy. And we don't know if he's describing like some features with hair over, it's just pure hair. You know, why, 
that that's as bizarre as anything I've ever heard of. Just a pure hair face. Why? Why is there is there the same kind of meaning, or is this one just like, eh, you know, I gotta sell books. This is, <laughs> or both. I, I this one to me, the hair Swedenborg describes as being like the outermost part of people. You know, okay. it's a part that doesn't even feel pain or or whatever, right. and, and so it's a, like an outermost part, and so these would be people whose internal life is completely focused on external things. And the way he describes them, he, he describes hairy people in the spiritual world, and they're generally just like we think of like wild men, wild women, you know, they're like crazy, and they're just about that external, like no restraints and right. things like that. Right. Uh, and so there's, there's nothing but hair. There's not human features. Swedenborg says that what makes us look human is compassion, insight, wisdom, perspective, yep. sense of humor, things like that. And these people don't don't have that. They're, we heard the term beast earlier on this evening, and, and that's what this would be like. It's more like a beastly self that these people have chosen right. for themselves. Well, because, yeah, it's always shocking when you hear about some kind of horrific crime and then you see the, the mugshot of a person. It's like, that person doesn't look that scary. You no, know? that's the, right. That you have, and you know, you never know based on one crime what somebody's heart is, but the kind of heart that would do that stuff and do it and love it in the other world, you see, well, this is what that, that's, no. that's that evil personified. So, And after they passed on, they made more of a decision. Like they might have been leaning that way before, yep. but they really made more of a decision, and then other stuff is taken away that made them more human kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if I... I think I mentioned it earlier, but uh, we're giving you more than three kinds of evil spirits here. Uh, so so this is like all bonus. You know, we, we, <laughs> we, we said we want to give you your money's worth. We're giving you double your money. If you order now, no shipping. Just, well, <laughs> actually, it's usually like, we're going to sell you this thing for like nine ninety five. Order now, $75 shipping. That's right. <clears throat> Emery Catboard. <laughs> okay, now <laughs> let's look at the next one. Something bony. He says, instead of a face, there's just something bony. These illustrations are so cool, by the way. Thank you. I didn't do them. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, that is... You know, pretty ubiquitous in horror. You'll get like like a, a skeleton. So what what is the so is Swedenborg just watched Night of the Dead or like how did he how did he know that these kind of spirits looked like that? Yeah, it, it's uh, it's amazing that it is such a Halloween image and such a horror movie kind mm-hmm. of image. And he was at a time when those you know there wasn't right. TV, there were no shows or movies and right, right, right. things like that. Not even novels yet or anything like that. So Terrible. the um, the bone has to do with, he says, the different parts of yourself, like your heart, from his point of view, just physically, is has more life in it than a bone. Your, mm. your bone is relatively right. lifeless, you know, and you see this again with things like your fingernails or something that you can just cut and there's no, yep. no pain at the edge there or something. Uh, it's a relatively li- lifeless part. Obviously, a skeleton is an image of uh, no spiritual life whatsoever. You know, these yeah. are people who just like nothing going, you know, there's no, they don't recognize anything beyond the level of that outermost thing. Right. So it's hard and bony and it, it, there, there's no depth to it at all. So that's a picture of someone who's that way. And it's creepy to see a, an animated skeleton because it's like this thing can move around and have agency, but there's no life in it. Yeah. Know, there's no, none of this humanity, this is an inhuman so that's what manifests. That's right. Is that and to to wrap it up, uh, there's another kind of spirit where he says only the teeth show. 
So there's not, you know, there's, the mm. rest of it's just kind of out of there. So you can just tell by looking at that, that's creepy. But why is it creepy? And this is, I think these correspondences get at why do human beings have these reactions to these kinds of images, you know? So, so what's the meaning of these, the teeth only spirits? Well, again, the teeth are so very, very hard. You know, they mm. last a, a long after the rest of the flesh is gone. And, um, and the teeth in particular, uh, Swedenborg says, has to do with uh, attacking the truth. Like in a positive sense, teeth mean something having to do with, with truth, like the strength of truth right. and so on, to break things down, to mm -hmm. analyze and that kind of thing. But uh, in a negative sense, they'd be trying to tear down the truth. Yeah. And he even describes sometimes in, in his uh, you know, stories of spiritual experiences that these spirits will try to grab at things with their teeth instead of their hands. You know, they'll go at them with their oh, teeth. Weird. Yeah. And again, it's one of these things that I think that's so weird. You, you can hardly picture that. And yet... I think you do see people, you sometimes know people, you sometimes are people who, uh, just like everything someone says, you bite, you lash out, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you can't get near the person with any kind of love or anything because everything's like snap, snap, you know, just right. just uh, attacking in that way. And it's particularly fighting about things of religion or going against, you know, so it's just nothing but teeth. That, that's yeah. all you get. They've yeah. been reduced to that, everything else that was human has been taken away, and that—that's what's left. Well, I definitely know, like you know, some people, even on a lesser scale, it's kind of like, you know, there some dogs you can't quite get close to because they're nice, but they might bite. You know, um, I know people that uh, I just don't quite feel comfortable around them because they can be fine, but every once in a while they'll just say something really cruel, and yeah. so because of that, you're like, oh, this, you know, that's like every once in a while those teeth come out. And, and it is about, as the rest of the show has shown, it's about what they love. So the thing that they loved and studied the most in their life was to make biting remarks, to, bite. you yeah. know, like cut to the core yeah. and just really, you know, do yeah. some damage and that kind of thing. So that's, that's the driving force behind all these appearances is, is that these are representations of a mindset, of a cultivated mindset. And that's why that stuff is scary, because it represents this way of inhuman behavior. All this stuff belongs... In a, in a good person, like we got teeth and they're great. You right. know, we got bone and it's right. great. You know, we don't have a fire head, but I'm trying to make a point here. Um, it's but only warmth and, it's, yeah, and hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. only um, it's only comforting and good when it's all together and it's alive. That's the way. But when you really evil is the absence of what's good and whatever's missing makes it more and more creepy. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Right. I want to thank you for coming on the program. Mm, man. Good it's fun. Been great to, to get a little uh, education on the spooks of the, the spiritual world, and um, we hope to have you back again soon. Great. All right. Thank and you. We, but we are gonna. You at this point may be wondering why did we drag you guys, you know, audience, through all these evil spirits and this this sort of haunted hayride? What can we get out of it? That's what we're gonna look at in part five. All right, so knowledge is power. We promised at the beginning that learning about these evil spirits was going to bring some kind of benefit, that it's not just kind of a, a curiosity, a morbid curiosity with this stuff. It's important to understand this stuff from a Swedenborgian perspective. You've got to know how the spiritual world works and know something 
about its inhabitants. That's why Swedenborg recorded this stuff. Now, the journal of spiritual experiences he, he never published, but all throughout his published works he'll have theology, he'll have philosophy, he'll have explanations, but then he'll drop in a spiritual experience, he'll drop in another, or he'll talk about something derived from his experiences, because knowledge is power, and the spiritual world is the underlying material for our subconscious. It affects us in more ways than we know, and the, if we learn about it, particularly about the dark side, we can use that as leverage. And this is, this is described beautifully in Secrets of Heaven 6206, where he says, um, it also needs to be recognized that all evil flows in from hell and all goodness from the Lord through heaven. The only reason evil is ever assigned to us as ours is that we believe and convince ourselves that we think it up and do it on our own, so we make it ours. If we believe the fact of the matter, we would be assigned not evil, but goodness that comes from the Lord. This is because the moment evil flowed in us, we would think, this is from the evil spirits with us. And when we did, angels would turn it away and cast it aside." Angelic influence acts on what we know and believe, not on what we do not know or believe. It attaches only when there is something in us to attach when there is something in us to attach to. Because of free will, if we're grabbing onto something, it cannot be taken away from us, including thoughts and feelings, including the impulses that come into us. If we say, these are ours, and, and this is mine, and, and this is what I am, and this is what I want, then the angels can't take it away from you. But if you think, oh, this is from hell, even that bit of knowledge lets them deflect and change it and, and uh, lets the whole dynamic change. The discovery of these evil spirits and how they're acting always led to a loss of power for them. In Swedenborg, he would figure out, oh, it's just these spirits doing it, then the power dissipates of evil. It seems weird, but if you start to apply this dynamic, this mechanism of, oh, this is just some contact with the greater dark side of humanity, uh, in my mind, you know, angels take it away, or I don't need it, or whatever it is that you say, I've found the more you do that, the freer you become. So I'm just hoping to take this, pass this freedom on to you guys, uh, do with it what you will, but it does seem that if you're just open to that idea, if you have some knowledge about it, the angels can work in, and you can be free of these sort of psychological patterns that are very hard to break out of otherwise. So, here, that's meant to be a, a gift of some kind from us to you. If you want to reciprocate that gift, feel free to like and subscribe. We really need that stuff to help this video get out there into YouTube and reach, you know, whenever we do a show about evil spirits of some kind, there are people who say, I can't believe how much this helped me, because this is the p missing piece they had for something, so you can help that person. If it's not you, or even if it is you, you can help the next person discover it. So, if you wouldn't mind, and if you want to make this kind of programming possible, the uh, remember that this not in the vomit, if you want to make this kind of programming possible in the future, please consider making a donation. We're a nonprofit, and that's how we do this stuff. Here's a little video about why, why we do what we do and our philosophy behind it. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins.
We've said we're going to, and we seriously are going to. This is the question, comment, everything else section. So let's see what everybody's been saying who's been watching live. This is the first one, and it is from Indrazed on YouTube. In the spirit world, if we become who we really are, would it be possible to change who we really are once we are there? It seems to me Swedenborg makes statements sort of in both directions, although later on he comes down more on the side of here on earth is where we make the changes. There we just go further into the changes that we've made. But then again, he describes children who die and they get to sort of form their character in the spiritual world. So there's some wiggle room, but overall, here is where we make choices. This is where you, you, you don't completely define your personality, but this is where you choose what you love. And it's not like who we really are is not like, okay, if I play the guitar enough here, then I'll be a guitar guy in the next life. I don't think it's like that. It comes down to the basics of, do you love what's good or do you love what's selfish and harmful to other people, but you just like it because it helps you. It's those bigger, broader things. God fleshes out the details of who we are as we continue to learn and grow. Really, what we're looking at here is just this, you know what it is, to harm people, you know it is to be helped, you know what pain is, you know what joy is, what are you trying to give to people? That's the the core of it, and apparently we, each of us is given enough time here to make that decision, or if we're going, if we're going to make, if we're making the bad decision, to, to not make a worse decision. So uh, that seems, Swedenborg seems to offer a little wiggle room, he does talk about communities moving and all this stuff, but the the heavy lifting is usually done here, or that's my understanding of it. Okay, next one. Did Swedenborg speak about spirits knowing future events, sometimes with some detail? Did he explain this phenomenon at all? He does talk about, um, there's there's a positive and negative sense in which he talks about that. He talks about it's only evil spirits who want to know the future, in that good, good angels, good spirits are content with what providence is going to do, when it's going to do it. However, he says that dreams that are prophetic, that tell the future, are from heaven, or he describes some, some dreams are from heaven and they're comforting and prophetic. So it seems to be that, um, that you can get that. He talks about um, angels, even though they don't have a concern for the future, they have a better premonition about what's going to happen than, than the, you've ever had on earth. So it's sort of this, you don't even, you're not even looking for it, but you get it. As far as individual people seeing things that come in the future and experiences, it seems like that happens all the time. And, and so Swedenborg has some commentary on it, but, but not a lot. Um, I do believe he got some insight into things. He was told, he knew from his spiritual experiences, according to what he wrote, uh, exactly when he was going to die. So he, when that date was coming up, he just kind of tied up his affairs and knew that he was going to go. So yeah, it does seem like there is some element of that, um, but it's not like the main goal of, of the good side is to get stuff in the future. So I've also heard about people having experiences with evil spirits where the spirits are able in some regard to predict some things in the future with some accuracy, and they do this to gain people's trust so that they say, oh yeah, you, you are legit. Somehow they can do that. It makes me think of the, um, 
Pharaoh's magicians in the in the Old Testament that they could copy the divine miracles a little bit. I don't know how the whole thing works. So those are a few scattered thoughts uh, about that. Thanks. Let's look at the next one. If you are being attacked by a bad spirit, does acknowledging their presence and showing respect get them to back off? I don't know. I mean, I haven't had a lot of I haven't had a lot of experience in this overt world that some people seem to have very potent direct um, encounters with beings that are very tangible and are coming at them. Um, so I, I'm not going to act like yes or no on that. It seems to me like some people who who have experiences with these respect is not what those spirits are looking for. They're looking to to get you, but maybe depending on what level it is. But acknowledging the presence seems to really matter, and I've definitely heard that acknowledging the presence and then calling in some kind of positive side of things, positive force, angels to come and specifically deal with that threat, and that would sort of go along with, you know, if you really believe this was evil spirits, angels could then deflect it. So I I don't have field experience on something like that, but um, it does seem like acknowledgement is really important, that you know what it is. And it's all sort of, you know, and you see in, in uh, even in like the New Testament, Jesus is the one who knows what these evil spirits are about, and they acknowledge, they know who he is better than even the people are. So there's something about evil wants to operate covertly, and if you understand what it is, that makes a difference. So I'm going to leave that one uh, partially answered. Thank you very much. Next one. Silver Rose, what is the difference between sirens and demons then? Swedenborg uh, uses the term demons to describe all evil spirits who are corrupt as to the will, and uh, evil spirits, all evil spirits, or Satan's, all evil spirits who are corrupt as to the understanding. So a siren would be a subcategory of demon. I would imagine it would be demon, I guess it could. So demons and Satan's, or demons and evil spirits in Swedenborg's lexicon, are these two, the two biggest categories, the basic division, and then sirens would fit. There may be some sirens who are demons and some sirens who are Satan's. I, I don't know, he doesn't mention that specifically. So sirens is a much smaller subgroup of evil spirits or demons, uh, according to Swedenborg. So there's that. Someday we should just make like a big old chart or a compendium or something like that. Would be fun. Or or the video game, uh, you know, hang tight for that if I can get the crew to do it here. All right, that's it. That's our show. Hopefully you enjoyed it for this week, and hopefully, yeah, you got something that's going to be useful. If not, at least it's good uh, food for the imagination, and hopefully just making us a little more aware of the behind-the-scenes dynamic of, of what's causing this life that we're in now, and we're going to get a little more grounded next episode, <laughs> literally gardening. We're going to look at spiritual, the spiritual symbolism of gardening and what a garden says about the human mind and about God. So join us then if you're interested, and I'll be here, so hopefully some of you show up. See ya. 